I think guilt comes because we haven't let God into our stink. Our, 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 we haven't let him into that guilt. So we may be like, oh, Lord, I felt bad for what I did. But no, to really like repent and allow him in an intimate relationship would be like an intimate friend that I trust. So if mm-hmm. I've gone through something difficult, I said, Lord, remember when, you know, I did that thing and I'll call it out what it is. You know what it is, Jesus. We're not going to pretend like I do. I'm not going to do some blanket, Lord, forgive my guilt. He's like, uh-huh, okay, that's good. That intimacy isn't like that. Intimacy, we see each other stink. Like I see your bad, worst, horrible days and we are intimate because I know that and you know my truth. Sometimes we treat God like, oh, he knows my truth and I don't have to say it. The intimacy is, you know my truth and I'm gonna, we're going to talk about it together. I'm not going to put some kind of spin on it because you're God and use that as my out. He desires to have a very real relationship with us. When life as you know it is flipped upside down, we struggle to make sense of it all. Why would a good God allow this to happen? Hi, I'm Sherry Pilkington, your host of Finding God in Our Pain. In early 2018, the deepest questions of my life erupted when I unexpectedly lost my husband of 32 years. Since then, I've searched the heart of God for what he has to say about pain and suffering. In this podcast, we'll discover how God enters into our pain, shepherds us through our darkest valley, and out into the green pastures once again. I'll bring you firsthand stories from women who will allow us into their authentic struggle, along with professional advice from experts, counselors, and others who can speak to what it looks like to navigate pain. Join me as we discover God's answers to the deepest cries of our shattered heart. Hello, friend, and thanks for stopping in. If you're struggling with guilt or shame and regret, this conversation is intended to give your heart rest. We'll point you to the one who knew how hard something like this would be and therefore provided for us a place, actually someone, really the one to take our pain to and lay it down at his feet, the feet of Jesus. I have personally found him to be the one who makes it possible for me to lift my head under the weight of my mistakes. In today's episode, you'll be privy to a typical conversation between my friend Kisha Moore and I. The topic is built around guilt, shame, and regret. What I loved about how our time together developed was that we included what it means, both how and why, to stay connected to God. I think it's a fair assumption that when we are weighed down by things like guilt, shame, and regret, it puts a distance between us and the one whom we've let down, even if it's ourselves. Who wants to spend time in the presence of someone whom you would never want to disappoint? But because of the cross, the very place we should go is into the presence of God. And the reason is because he's provided a way to restore our peace. There's one area of this topic that I wish we would have touched on, and that is guilt with regard to the pain and suffering that we've caused others. So I'll add this quick thought. The way to make peace with that sort of pain is to process it with God. Ask him, what did our actions mean? Why did we do that? And definitely take responsibility. And with regard to taking responsibility off the top of my head, I think of apologizing. However, we have no control over how someone responds to our apology or the way we take responsibility for our actions. They may never agree to let us off the hook. And sadly, that also includes ourself as one not wanting to let us off the hook. As a mom of boys, I remember trying to get blood out of their clothing. Was never successful, no matter the cleaning product that I I used. Also, back in the day, I worked for a polymer plant. 
And I learned that red dye was the most potent color we had. Nothing would override it. And that's what I think about it when it comes to the shed blood of Jesus on the cross. While our sins harm us and others, ultimately our sin is against God. And that's why we go to God. We have the privilege of laying our guilt, shame, and regret at the feet of Jesus, the only intercessor we need, and watch his crimson blood saturated until his blood is all we see. If you think that is too good to be true, an easy out, then I want to challenge you with two things. First, I want to challenge you to get real about taking responsibility for your sin and how it has affected other people. Because if you look it square in the eye, that's not an easy task. You've hurt yourself. You've let yourself down. You've been less than you thought you should be or you imagined you'd be. You've hurt people who don't talk to you anymore or who have put distance between you. And secondly, take a look at what a crucifixion is, the brutality of it, the inhumane act that it is. Look at the purpose behind the sinless lamb's blood and the heart of the father who provided a way for you and I to lift our head under the weight of our sin in the here and now. I'm so glad that you are here. Thank you for agreeing to have this conversation. And what I hope that we'll do today is recreate what happens whenever you and I get together. And that is that I benefit from your personal time with the Lord, your deep reflection and your authentic passion of wanting an honest response from the Lord in the midst of real life. And I want my listeners to have that same experience with you. So we're going to talk about guilt, shame and regret and how they are tied to our identity, or at least our identity is challenged when these things come up or introduced into our life. We'll be looking at guilt, shame and regret through the lens of God's heart. And in doing so, I hope that we're able to shine some light on the power of our identity. So Kisha, when we find ourselves shouldering the weight of bad choices, standing in the reality of consequences and trying to make peace with regret, there is an internal struggle and a dialogue that takes place where we add weight on top of an already heavy and emotional and mental load. When we're faced with the reality of this life where we make mistakes, what's the first thing that we need to know or remember about God or about our identity? Well, one of the things that I've really, I've been reading this this scripture every day. And it's in Hebrews, I think it's 411. It talks about the word of God is alive and active. And why that's important is because I believe the first place that we start is with his word. And what happens is, is that we take his word and then we apply all these other things. When God says, when you come to me and confess your sins and I forgive you, I think that that's where we need to leave it. But what happens is we tend to regurgitate it. God, I feel so bad for what I did. Instead of just taking him at his word, I believe that we have a God who we can actually take at his word. And that's a good point, because when God hung on the cross, he took our shame with him. He buried it. Why do you think it's so hard to lay that down? Because we can forgive other people, right? But we have a hard time forgiving ourselves. Why do we beat ourselves up? What's the point? Well, I think that we forgive other people. We don't forget. So when it's uh, when we're dealing with ourselves. We forgive, but we are not forgetting either. Like we, we, you can pick yourself up, move on, and something may trigger. Like, oh my gosh, I forgot about how you know. And we find ourselves back into that place instead of walking constantly with a renewed mind of forgiveness. I have struggled with that myself, and 
just the time spent with the Lord and realizing again, applying his word. And I say to myself, no, I'm forgiven. I don't have to walk in that. I don't need to go pick up that emotion. I don't need to delve in it. It happened. It's over. I'm forgiven. And I get to move on as if it never happened, because that's what Jesus says. He says, I forgive your sins as if it never happened. And that's such a hard transition. Mm-hmm. I guess it boils down to really believing that God is who he says he is. I'm kind of hung up on this part where we will let other people get by with, you know, hurting us or doing things to us, but we rarely quickly believe what God did on the cross was enough for us. I don't know if there's, is it just a mindset that needs to change a belief pattern? Cause you did make reference a minute ago when you said that we apply what we think we know about God versus Mm -hmm. letting him tell us who he is. Yes. I mean, oftentimes the thing about like in the Bible, Jesus, I'm letting you know this ahead of time so that you will know he's saying we're going to struggle in things, but I'm letting you know that this happens. We've got to really not look at the Bible as some kind of like, I'm going to read it. If it is the absolute guide for us, it is like our Magna Carta right? It is all of those things. It is the thing that says you are okay when you do these things, when you do these things, when you do these things. So if we are doing those things and our hearts are in the right place, you know, I think sometimes maybe the, the, the issue comes because our heart issue hasn't been dealt with. So we need to deal with our heart issue about that. And once we do, we get to get up and move on. I think the other side of that is, is that we live in a world that has fallen and broken. And sometimes we take on those ideologies of, self-recrimination. I've got to, I've, I'm going to feel, you hear it on movies. And when I hear it, I always say to myself, that is not how we live in, as, as believers. And that phrase is, I will feel guilty about this the rest of my life. Guess what? We don't need to feel guilty about this the rest of our lives. We get to live free because the Lord and his word says that we get to live free. And that's the difference. And so we, we feed upon some of the things of the world and we then use that filter and apply it to God. He is set apart. He is sovereign. He is not someone who operates even on that plane. We don't have to view him through that lens at all. He is who he is, period. We don't even have to guess. The thing about it, Sherry, and I think sometimes is this too, we don't even have to guess about who he is. He makes it very plain in his word. And then we go along, take his word, and we we add questions to it, which is why when the I think in the, the Bible it says, when we ask questions and keep asking after something has been revealed, a truth, that's when we enter into deception because the Lord has revealed to us what his truth is to question that leaves you, leads you to deception. Well, the snake made Eve question what God had said. That's right. And that's what led her to her deception. Exactly. Yeah. You were just talking about reading the word and knowing the word and God's clear in his word. I think a minute ago when I was talking about mindset, I think it comes down to knowledge of the word Mm-hmm. without intimacy of the mm-hmm. word and the word right. being Jesus, right? his written word, as well as the word we made man. Mm-hmm. And so the transition of getting from knowledge to intimacy, how can we grow intimacy with Christ? Well, that again comes from, you know, it comes from spending time. I think it also comes from just being real. I was listening to this message at church the other day. I think guilt comes because we haven't let God into our sink. Are, 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 are we haven't let him into that guilt. 
So we may be like, oh Lord, I felt bad for what I did, but no, to really like repent and allow him in an intimate relationship would be like an intimate friend that I trust. So if mm-hmm. I've gone through something difficult, I said, Lord, remember when, you know, I did that thing and I'll call out what it is. You know what it is, Jesus. We're not going to pretend like I do. I'm not going to do some blanket, Lord, forgive my guilt. He's like, uh-huh, okay, that's good. That intimacy isn't like that. Intimacy, we see each other stink. Like I see your bad, worst, horrible days and we are intimate because I know that and you know my truth. Sometimes we treat God like, oh, he knows my truth and I don't have to say it. The intimacy is, you know my truth and I'm gonna, we're going to talk about it together. I'm not going to put some kind of spin on it because you're God and use that as my out. He desires to have a very real relationship with us. And that authenticity is that it's like, if, you know, I, I prefer not to use cuss words because I think there are ways, there are better ways to use words. I felt like that before I was a believer. So when like some great thing that happened, when I became saved, like some people like, oh, I'm saved. No, I don't cuss. I was like, well, that was just something I believed in before. So it's all right. But there are times like I'm like, I'm now I'm like, Lord, I just want to honor you with my words. But if somebody gets me mad enough, girl, because like somebody uncorked her. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it's I'm real. Like, you know, and go off. And then I go back. I'm like, oh, Lord, you know, and I'll be real. I'm like, God, you saw I just went off on that lady. Like I lost my mind. And I'll even like, you know, so crazy, God. We ain't gonna pretend like it didn't happen. It did. I said it right out my mouth. That's what I'm talking about. And I, and, and we have that conversation because that is a realness. We've been through stuff. I got history with Jesus. And so it's time, it's time out for faking it. So when I fall down and have to come to him, that's real. It makes me think of when God asked Jacob, what's your name? It's not like he didn't know Jacob's name, but he's like, are right. you going to be honest with me? Are you right. going to be put it on the table here so we can talk about what the real deal here, here is? So when I bring my sin to God or my guilt and my shame, my regret, I pull it apart before him. Like, Lord, what did that mean? Why did I do that? What, yes. what triggered me? Where is the yeah. lie that I believe? Where have I been deceived? And I think in that digging in, and pulling it apart and wanting to look at the root of it mm-hmm. uh, has been healing for me because yeah. he is trustworthy. He has never once used my sin against me mm. or uh, embarrassed okay. me or, or shut me out. Yeah. I think it's only grown our intimacy and the strength of his presence in my life. So yeah. digging in, I, I agree with you. I think you're right. Not only that is it's like having, I'll, I'll, I'll say this because I've, I've walked this out. It's like being in a relationship when your spouse or partner comes home, you say, Hey, how was your day today? And you're like, Oh, it was good. It was okay. Right. So you went all day and it was just okay. There's no, so the lack of intimacy is that it's like, we go to the Lord and he's like, how was your day today? It was good. You know how it was. That's not what he wants. When he, when he sought out Adam, he says, Adam, where are you? He knew where he was. He wanted Adam to talk to him conversation breeds intimacy. I, I want to have a conversation with you. Let's talk about this, right? I could off the top of my head, picture all the things they did. They may have had lunch. Oh, they, they had this for lunch because you may have packed it or they bought it, right? They're normal. I could know all those things. But when someone shares their voice with you, their words with you, it creates intimacy. Intimacy in any relationship is necessary. And there's levels or degrees of that where you give people access to you or the, you know, the way you think and the more closer that you're allowed into that person's circle, the more intimacy that you, it requires in my personal opinion. Otherwise there remains a distance and they fall out of that circle or into other tiers of that circle of friendship. Exactly how it is with the Lord. We are either intimate with him 
or we can hang on the fringes. It doesn't change our salvation, but it certainly changes our relationship. Well, I remember raising the boys and the Lord taught me so much about his love for me when I became a parent. And that's really where I began to understand his love. Yeah. His love for me. And one of the things is I, when what you're saying about, it doesn't mess with our salvation, but it's the level of intimacy. So when you've got a child who's not abiding by the rules in the house, they stay away. They avoid you because they're, they don't want to have to face it. They don't want the conflict. They don't want to be corrected. And I know I get that way with the Lord. Sometimes my absence from him is because I want to be doing what I want to be doing. Yeah. But, but what I miss out on are the gifts of the presence of the father of the, what he gives to his children that gather around, because that's what happens that's with so the one son that wants to keep his distance from me. And then the one son that's there every day and close, he's getting showered with my affection and my love. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what God does for us. The closer that we draw to him in this intimacy, we get the benefits of the father. Mm-hmm. That's good. That's good. And, and that comes again from being in a relationship. And like you said, that's different, many levels of our relationships with each other. My acquaintances are not the same intimacy as my friends. You know, they don't receive the same information as my friends because that is not the depth of our relationship. Our relationship, it, some, some friendships or acquaintanceships stay like that forever. There's a level of intimacy there, but it's not deep. It's not an entrust place is different. Yeah, absolutely. I know I have rushed ahead of God so many times. And I often tell the Lord that the hardest part of walking with you, daddy is Mm -hmm. keeping your pace. And whenever I feel like I'm helping the Lord out and I'm going to take action on my own. And that's when I'm left facing consequences that I didn't plan on. What are your thoughts on the challenge? Will we wait when God doesn't answer or maybe more to the point? How do we wait? Well, I think again, I had this conversation today just ahead of this. I was in the car and I was like, Lord, that was one of those times when I didn't, I wasn't like, I lean on my own understanding, right? It's like, and what is it? I think that, I think that we don't want to have like that rest in God. So we ask him a question and he doesn't move fast enough. We fill in a blank of what we think he might say, because that feels like what God would do, Right. And I have, I have lived months doing that. He's gracious, but like, like there's some things that happen later. You realize, okay, that really was me lately. I just think it just keeps going back to the word. God has shown me so much. He's like, Kisha, there's a place of rest in my word when we are willing. So if it means don't lean your understanding, and if it takes three weeks for you to get my answer to me, then it just takes three weeks, Sherry. That's what it is. Resting in that trust is saying, he may tell me tomorrow. He might tell me in three weeks. He might give me a piece of it, but he's always working. When we think and really stop, if we were to stop right now, the people who are listening think there was a moment when I asked God a question, I waited for the answer. And I know, I knew in my, the depths of my being, I'd received the answer. That's the place that we need to be every time we ask him a question <laughs> that I can't, I don't have a piece yet. I feel, I sense it's coming. Since it's coming, but I don't want to manufacture it. So, you know, for me, I'm like, I don't want to, you know, let, um, you know, so now my prayer is like, and Lord, do a quick work. (laughs) (laughs) If you can do a quick work in this situation right here, I'm feeling some kind of way about it. I think I've said it with you before, you know, just learning the unforced rhythms of grace. That really is so crucial. I don't need to be ahead of the Lord. He is God. He's Adonai. 
He's El Shaddai. He's Elohim. He, he knows all things. Why am I rushing ahead of God who, cre- God who created the, the sun, the moon, the stars, the earth, the grass, the air I breathe, the hair on my head, the materials that cause me us to make cars, the metals, the precious stones, all of these things. But I've got it figured out, Jesus. So let me tell you what the plan's going to be. Because I know you're God. What I need you to do, because you're God, come into my plan and work your magic. That's what we're saying to him. Not me coming to your plan by faith and, and follow you and do what you need to do. I agree with that because I will pray for something, talk to the Lord about it. But I do know the difference between when you know he has spoken and yes. then you're still waiting. But I will occasionally I will act on the still waiting like I think I know what he wants. And just to back up to and touch again on that part of that, we create God through a lens of how we think he should be or how we have interpreted the scriptures. And I'm not saying that that's wrong because we're all individuals interpreting scripture in the past or experience him in the past. You're right. You're right. And then we hold him to that again, Mm -hmm. Uh, or we won't let him speak into who he is. We don't let him show himself or rewrite a lie or readjust a belief that we have about him. And that's really intimate. And I think it comes from what you're talking about, the unforced rhythm of grace, God's presence and learning who he is, because it's in the still quiet times that he speaks, or at least that's what I have experienced when I actually literally feel his presence almost in a physical way and then hear him speak. And I don't hear audible words, but he downloads this information into me. So to rush this process of is when we miss when he speaks, when he leads, when he reveals. And so I think that's really this core place, but Mm -hmm. society does not, and we've bought into society, we live in it, but it doesn't give us that opportunity to slow down and to rest. What can we do? I believe that how we live our lives, even in a broken world, is not how God wants us to live our lives. I think it's just timely based on what I've been reading and what this conversation is now is that, and you and I think talked about it the other day is that there remains a place of rest. It's in the same section of Hebrews as the, um, the word of God is alive and active, which I find very interesting. Okay. So just ahead of that scripture in Hebrews 4, 11, it says that the rest of God is for us. Right. And he who enters into God's rest has ceased from doing his human work. And then it goes on to say the word of God is alive and active. I was like, Lord, this is so interesting. These scriptures are kind of like, but up against each other. I don't wonder if it's because when you enter into God's rest, you use his word, which is alive and active to work in your life because it is discerner of all things. It says it is discerner of the truth. It is sharper than a two-edged sword, able to divide bone and marrow, the essence of who we are. It is so powerful. And so just ahead that he talks about his rest. God is so intentional that I don't believe that's unintentional. So, and it says you have to be diligent to enter into his rest. So you can't do it just like by, it's not by happenstance because we are, we are in the world that we're not of the world. So you can't be haphazard about it. You can't be like, oh, I just fell into the rest of God today. No, he says, there's going to be all these things that come at you. The phone's going to ring. You're going to get distracted by this. It's going to seem like you've got a pile of responsibilities, whether there are bills that need to be paid, this, that, and the third, right? They're all going to be there. 
But that inner peace that comes from rest in me has to be the primary place where you stay. You have to be diligent to stay in that place. So we can stay in a place of rest using our correct weapons and the word, right? To combat that, I think that's what it is. But we choose not to. We choose not to. That's true. Choice, freedom of choice. We've been called out of the world. So is it really the thought of a believer to be at a fast place or is it the world moving at that place? And we find ourselves instead of not following those dictates, but following the dictates that God has established for us. Think about sharing what peace would it be that we woke up in the morning and said, Lord, these are my plans. What are your plans? Right. And he says, oh, just go over here and do this. That's all I got to do today, Lord. But this needs to be paid. and This needs to be paid. Why do we do that? See, that's what I mean. Like it's so sometimes God makes things so simple. We can't even trust that because we're like, no, the world moves like this. And that's how it should be. As I'm talking to you, it reminds me of Naaman. Remember he had leprosy and he got upset because Elijah didn't even come out and meet him. He sent word and told him, this is what you need to do. Go dip yourself into the Jordan river seven times. And it was so simple. He had a disease that was life altering and he wanted to make that complicated because it seemed too ridiculously simple. All I have to do is go dip myself in the water and I'm healed. I've lived with this a, a good portion of his life. He's a soldier of armies, but that's all he had to do. That one simple thing. All, that's all he had to do that day. He went and did it and he was cleansed. I wonder if that falls under the God uses the simple things to confound the wise. Absolutely. We think we're wise. I think that we are called to work. I don't believe that we are called to work in the frenzy in which we are working. Not when we have a God who's wise. We are to work and be diligent about our work and multiply. We are called to do some very specific things with our work to make an impact. But at least for me, sitting down and one understanding what does that peace look like when I sit before the day and I say, Lord, this is what I'm doing. Why was Jesus unhurried? He had a lot going. He had a lot. That was a huge ministry, but he was unhurried about his day because he spent time with Lord and Lord said, you're going to go speak in that place. You're going to do that. And so when you get your assignment, there's a piece about your assignment. Then you're like, that's all I'm doing today. And people look at you like, oh, well, I've done this, this and this. And I'm like, well, that's good for you. All I had to do was I was just told to do these three things. And trust that he's going to take care of the other things that I thought I needed to take care of. The other things I thought I needed to take care of. And there's a place of rest even in that when you get that assignment from the Lord. So there's peace and there's rest. You're not pushing yourself to do more than you were even asked to do. But you're exactly. right. It's, it is counterintuitive to everything that we know. Counterintuitive. It is counterintuitive to everything we know. That everything that we see I remember this, this is, this is some years ago. And I had, I don't know if I ever told you a story about the man that I went down to the beach with to go, to go see. I don't remember that, but if he you was, keep talking, was, I might. This is Valentine's day. Um, I want to say maybe it was like 2007 and I'm, I'm home. I'm off. And I'm like, hmm, I was like, well, what are we going to do today? I could read a book. I could, you know, think of all these things. I could read like leadership book. I can read a book. I have all, I have a list of things that we're going to do. But I was like, what are we going to do today? And clearly as he spoke to my heart, he's like, we're going to go down to the beach and sit. And I was like, okay, it's cold outside, but uh, <laughs> I'm really wanting to like, you know, get into the place of, of listening and, and, and going and obeying. So we went down to the beach. And I knew that when I was going, that there was something greater, something significant was going to happen. 
So I'm sitting on the on the the bench, looking at all the people walk by. It was cold, but there were like a good amount of people out. And I'm like, hey, how's it going? Hey, da da da. And and about I don't know halfway into like my time there, this man walks by, and I was like, hey, how's it going? And he stops, and he comes back, and he says, I'm doing well. How are you? I said, I'm doing well. How are you doing? And I, and in my heart, I was like, he's the one. And we sat down and he began to talk about his life. And like most of us do, we, we paint our life to be this miraculous thing that it really isn't, right? If it's not, sometimes we just fluff it up even when it's not. And he was sharing all this, but the Lord, he was like, he goes, I sense the presence of the Lord here. And that man broke down and really began to truly share his heart. Mm-hmm. And he'd walked away from the Lord and he gave his life back to the Lord that day. I just prayed with him. He recommitted. And he says, you know, the truth is he told me he had a car. He had all this place. He's like, the truth is I don't have a car. He's like, I've lost everything. Mm-hmm. I said, we can arrange for the church to pick you up or whatever. And they did. And he, and so six months went by after that. And I was like, Lord, I wonder what happened to that man. Like, yeah. is he still in, in church? Are you guys, your relationship still going? That Sunday I went to church. I'm getting ready to leave. Church was over. And I hear somebody going, sis, sis. And I'm like, who's calling? And I look around and it's him. He says, I'm still here. He's like, God is so good. So I had many plans that day. I had Mm -hmm. things that I could have sent to my team or that I needed to. Not that any of those things didn't happen, what was necessary. Don't get me wrong. But the ultimate thing that was necessary was to go and do that. Do you know that everything else I needed to do that day, it was like the Lord blew on it. It got taken care of like it was no, it just got taken care of. Mm-hmm. Because I did the one thing that he right. needed me to do, the other things he will take care of. And he did. That's beautiful. It really is beautiful. And testimony too, as far as following his leading and he takes care of the rest. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Trauma sets us up to make bad decisions, or maybe I'm just speaking for myself. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I think it was when we had that last lunch, uh, like last week, and you said, something to the effect of don't beat yourself up when you didn't get it. Because I think a lot of us are really hard on ourselves because we should have known better. We should have done better because we're Christians. How could we do this to the Lord? Mm -hmm. Um, What what was your thought? Do you even remember what your line of thought was for that? Don't beat yourself up when you didn't get it. Because I remember saying that some things were necessary, right? There's a cooking term like skin the scum. So when you're making stock, like from bones inside the marrow, there's a, like, there's a foam that comes up and you've got to skim it to get the broth clear. So I believe that when we go before the Lord in our mind, there are things that we haven't, I say crucified, but there are things that we haven't brought to him that we haven't laid down. And I believe that the things that come to the surface as painful as they are to know that we have that in us. And it's tough. Cause I'm like, Lord, that was in me. Like I've, I've, I remember lamenting over some mistakes that I've made. I was like, God, how did I do that? And he was like, because it was still in you. And, and it came to the surface. And I wish that in some of those moments, I thought I was going to make a different decision. (laughs) But then I realized, you know why I hadn't? Because I hadn't ahead of time decided that I would. I just assumed that I would, but I hadn't decided that I would. I hadn't decided that I would. And, and that was an eye opener for me about a lot of things, like you said, that are traumatic. Some of our trauma, just like our thoughts have to be put in a decided place. 
and even the trauma that Satan uses to cause stumbling blocks in our lives. And we can go back and look and say, okay, that's how he tripped me up before. But sometimes we're so caught up. We don't even realize that's what he's using to trip us up. We fall right back into it again. And we're like, how did I get here? You know why? Because I didn't really look at it the last time I recognized that is what he uses to cause me to fall. When that happens again, I have decided that I do not want that thing. Or I've decided that I'm not da 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 and run like the Dickens away from it. Not entertain it, not think that I'm strong enough or I've got some crafty word now. You know, if you're a drug user and you have friends that are in that lifestyle, you're a believer now, you're like, oh, I've got words for them. You got to be careful about that because be careful where you stand lest you fall. You may not have the words you think and be strong enough to handle that. That may not be what you are supposed to do. Those are things we need to pray about. Lord, now that I'm delivered, is it me? We don't ask God questions. I think it's the whole thing we were talking about before. Well, I've been asking questions. We just go ahead and do it because now I feel so energized. No, stop and say, Lord, because I'm weak and fallible. I have a strong sense to want to minister to this group of, say, friends who are, are still in this lifestyle. But is this what you want me to do? Because what if we're not equipped to do that? It's true. You could be standing out there by yourself. And I know I've put myself out on the limb. I grabbed up something that the Lord never even asked me to take up. Some trauma that's in, that we've experienced or walked through, we repeat it because it's familiar to us. We've been delivered from it, but we go back because it's familiar instead of staying away from it. The safeguard, you know, the word of God is our safeguard. It's not our just in case. It is our safeguard. So when we're in a situation that looks different than that, we can say, okay, I, sh- I, I choosing that and disregarding what God says about this. No, I'm not going to be strong enough. No, you don't go in the situation and then say, Lord, cover me. He like, you should have gone in that situation to begin with. I right. Right. I've heard that once or twice. You know what I mean? Right. Like it says, da, 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 da. oh no, I got the word and I got my own mind. So I'm going to do is and fall flat on your face. I think we've all been there, which makes us human. Makes and us human. I love, yeah, I love that the Lord lets us be human. Mm-hmm. And then he still covers us because we can come back at any point, bring him all of our broken pieces, bring him our consequences and yeah. get back in relationship with him and find out where it went wrong. And he's more than happy to take up where we were at and repurpose what that pain or that consequence is, give yeah. it redemption. I love he acts like he never missed a beat, like he had planned it all along or he at least allowed it or knew it. And yeah. that is just a love that I have. I don't, God has not given us adequate language to describe him or to worship him or to talk about how worthy he is. He's really cut us short with our knowledge, but I know that this is a shadow of what he's going to um, reveal. Maybe there's not supposed to be a sound for it though. Uh, Maybe it's the sound of silence. mm -hmm. It's like the sound to me of like snow when it first falls and it's a lot it is a sound that's profound but it's hushed it is it is it is magnificence and it's silent magnitude that's what i think sometimes it is that we look to fill in gaps and things that don't need to be filled in they just are because you're right there are things there are times that i'm and just thinking about the goodness of the lord and i say lord it is this and i just stay silent Silence is beauty with Christ. There's so much you get silent and you open up this possibility, this mm-hmm. way to engage his vastness. Yeah. You're this. so great. And I'm not going to feel it. 
Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I, I think it's, it's all of that. Life is, like we were saying, it's traumatic. It's beautiful. It's up. It's down. It's inhale. It's exhale. It is moment by moment. And we have to live in a place where this happened to me, but it's not me. This thing is something I'm walking through. Some of it's based on a decision that I made and I'm going to get through it. It could even be that we even acknowledge today was a painful day. I think that's part of like even the intimacy of it. There's things that have happened, some trauma. I'm like, Lord, why did you even, I don't get it. I'm like, why did that? Why, Lord? You know, like that could have just not, that could have just not happened altogether. Like you could have just bulldozed. But you know what? Sometimes it's just that he won't, he also won't impede our will. And it's just that he was like, yeah, but your will was so strong. And, and he's given us the gift of free will. And that's even honor in that, even if it means we fall on our face, it's saying you wanted it so bad, but now you realize looking back at it, that, you know, it's one of those places you didn't wait and to have the eyes to really look at things in a right way. This brings to my mind, I was studying the name of God, Elohim. I read this example of how when God comes on to the scene, this, in this case, it was Jesus came onto the scene. He's talking to John, his forerunner, John the Baptist. And he doesn't overtake the situation. Can he? Yes, he's God. He comes on the scene with John. And what does he do? He honors John's calling on his yeah. life. He supports John and what he's supposed to be doing. He submits himself to John as mm -hmm. a co-creator, co-worker mm -hmm. in what is going to be accomplished here. And I think that is a perfect example of how God comes alongside us. He honors us for the calling that we have on our life. And it's also a reason why I don't I don't feel that he condemns us or shames us, but rather he wants to draw us into fulfilling those pages that were written about us before the foundations of the world were laid. Mm. That is so powerful and so beautiful. It's rather intimidating actually that yeah. it feels like some of that burden falls on us, but yet we have all of his support. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to mess things up because I'm famous for messing things up. And that was my whole thing with the Lord. Oh my gosh. What? Wait, no, you no, you have to lead. I'll mess this all up. <laughs> I definitely believe that in an ideal relationship, it would, it would be like how you'd mentioned your kids before. So, you know, when our kids get older, <clears throat> they live their own lives. And so they think that what we have to say is irrelevant, right? Yes. And all we really want to do with our kids from the moment they're born to the day they leave this earth or we do is walk alongside them. Yeah. I don't want to be in your life. I don't want to rule your life, but I want to, I want to walk alongside you in those places and say, Hey, I know you're thinking about doing it like this, but if you do it or look at it like this, this is probably going to be better for you. They are like, yeah, I just want to go along and find it out on my own. Why do that? <laughs> you know, right. like I think about the times that I've done that. I'm like, why did I do that? The answer was right there. And guess what? It ended up being the same answer he said before I decided to do it on my own. That's such a sweet, sweet place. I think that even in that place, when we stumble, the stumbles aren't as big and they're not as often. True. We know when to turn around faster and get back to the father, get back into that covering. He's, he's we're allowed him to walk alongside us and let yeah. him speak into our lives. It's the thing, like if you, like when we stumble, let's get up right away. I think that our relationship with the Lord should be like when something happens, we need to get up and re-engage with the Lord right away. But shame, like we were saying before, guilt 
keeps us from doing that. But what shame? Like, I think we need to ask what, what shame so that we can say the shame that I feel is I failed. I was less than I thought I was. The shame really comes from our idea of ourselves. I think more God knows how we are. He knows that we're going to fall, but shame comes from the idea of ourselves, how we saw ourselves in relationship to God, but not who we really are in relation to God, relationship to God. So when I fall, when God says that he loves me, that's absolute. When I tell my children, I love them and they may mess up. It is absolute for me. I'm not thinking if you do this, it's the same way, but for them, when they mess up, the shame of them having disappointed me keeps them from wanting to come to me. And they forget that I said to them that I love you, no matter what come to me when this happens, Mm. come to me. So now Jesus has said the same thing to us. God has said the same thing to us. I love you full stop. I love you. I fall down. And instead of going to the one who loves me, and let's say I love, I want to hide from him because of the shame of how I saw myself. I saw myself as this great believer who raised their hands in service all the time. I knew every scripture and all the words, and then I fell. And then it was like, I'm not that person. I'm ashamed that I even said I was that person. How can I go and speak to God or be healed and minister his word? How, when we humble ourselves and go back to the Lord and say, you know what, God, I'm not that person. <laughs> Listen, (laughs) I do love lifting my hands because it honors you. That's when it becomes not about me because I honor you because I get to worship you because you love me. And here I am with my mess again, sitting at your feet. Can we get this right, please? I love that about him. We were just talking about it, how he never misses a beat, always receives us in whatever condition we decide to show up in. You've got the prodigal son who's been eating pig pods and slop before he decided to lay it down and go back to his father who he was ready. It was repentive and was going to work as one of the hired hands at the ranch. But what does his father do? Treats him like the son that he is. Mm -hmm. And that's a a beautiful, always a beautiful example of how, what God does for us, no matter the degree. And to be clear that he has a standard, right? God loves us, but he, he also has a standard for how we engage in his love. So we can fall down and get up. But when we get up to re-engage with God, we re-engage at his standard, not our own. Good point. And I needed to say that because I think it's important because if not, we can have a sloppy relationship with God and think again, that he serves us in our purpose and not the other way around. The, the powerful story about the prodigal son is that he had to go back to the standard of how his father's house was. And he was always accepted, but that was what was necessary. He left, he forsook that lifestyle that he was living that caused him to be in that situation and went back to the arms of the one who truly loved him. And so that's important. You know, my kids can't come into my house just any kind of way. I love them absolutely. To be here though means there are certain things that happen in this house that aren't gonna happen anyplace else. And so coming back is like that same Lord, I want to honor you as you, not as a you that I want to fit in some box of things that I want to get from you. And that's real. You make a good point because you're right. (coughs) We have our own personal standards when we're dealing with our children. It's for their good. The things that I would stick to my guns over, if you will, with my children were moral issues, moral integrity, and their Mm -hmm. safety. 
Yeah. Everything else was up for discussion. Right. We could, I might not agree to it, but everything else was up for discussion. But those two things, I would go to the mat with them over. And mm-hmm. so when my children did break rules in the home, you can tell the difference when they come back repentive and realizing that, yes, I made a bad choice because I was out here mm-hmm. on my own doing my mm-hmm. own thing. Because boundaries, God's boundaries for us, our boundaries for our children are based on their safety. In my instance, uh, their moral integrity. And so I I know that there's value in having that standard of how we are expected to live and supposed to live. I don't want to leave that out of the equation because you're right, a sloppy relationship. We don't want that. We don't want a sloppy relationship in our lives. We expect God to take our sloppy so we can live any kind of way we want and have them cover the rest. I don't think that's an honorable relationship. So that would not be the kind of relationship that he should expect from us. God being God, sovereign, no. His love is what it is because he says it's what it is. I believe that, okay? His grace is what it is, but just as Paul said, not so that we can continue to sin. His grace is is what it is because that's who he is. But we do, we honor those things because when you love somebody, you honor the things that, of who they are. So I just, I just want to make that clear because sometimes I've found that I hear people say, you know, who just live blatant lives of disregard and like, oh, but God knows me. He's going to cover that. He has a standard though. And we need to recognize that he has a standard. And when you really to operate in the the fullness of his presence is to also understand what that is. And just like you said, if we had sloppy relationships here in this relationship life, um, Mm -hmm. It, it w- no, it would not benefit us at all. We would not be happy. We would not be pleased. We would question their love for mm-hmm. us. It would, it would be a hot mess, mm-hmm. it, at best, a hot mess. When there's honor in relationship, things go well, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and when there's not, things don't go so well. Is there grace to cover us when we come back? Absolutely. But I, I know full well, Sherry, with every part of my being, if the Lord had decided while well, I was doing whatever I want before I became a believer, that would have been it for me because I made a choice to live that way separate from him. And that's real. It's his grace that allowed me to do that and come to him. I'm grateful for that. But that wasn't a guarantee. There are people who left this earth separated from the Lord forever. His grace was there while they were on this earth. Yes, because it is what he's put in. It is what he's spoken over it. We live in the goodness of the Lord on the earth, but we, but still separate, right? Mm-hmm. And so if we choose to be separate from him in this side of heaven, we also choose to be separate from him on the other side. That is what I'm talking about here. You and I had this conversation not too long ago that the evil prosper when they follow God's value system, the, the things that God has said are true, um, mm-hmm. such as a real quick example, generosity, you know, yeah. seed sowing and things. And, yeah. and so even the evil of this world can prosper when they walk in what God has already established as the yeah. truth. Yeah. So that makes sense what you're saying. And they may prosper with other hardships, but it's not, you know, who knows what that is, right? We don't, we're not privy to all those details, but definitely it comes down to that. It, 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 it comes down to the, the strength of what salvation is. Salvation isn't so we can live good on, on earth. It is so that when we leave here, we are still in fellowship with Jesus. That is salvation. That's beautiful. I had to pause right there and just kind of try to drink that in because <laughs> there's a lot of times when I just tell the Lord, I don't get it. I mean, I'm trying to get it, Lord, but it just seems too big 
to wrap my mind or my heart around. And so something like that too, it's like we make a decision here, but the true value of it doesn't even kick in until you draw your last breath. I believe we can experience heaven on earth. And what I mean by that is God's presence through every situation, every storm, every trauma, every challenge, because we find new things about ourselves that we need to give him as we live life, because we don't really know what's inside of us until there's pressure, until there's a challenge that brings something up. You had mentioned that a little bit earlier. And Uh so we have this opportunity to engage God every time that we find ourselves backed into a corner or where we said the wrong thing, or we did the wrong thing. I can kick a chair leg and end up having to repent for my language. It's that easy that we can be pushed into something that is not God's value system or the best for ourselves. Well, and then think too that, you know, we're talking about, like, so I decide when I gave my life to Jesus, Lord, I want you, I want you to come to my heart and make me whole and, you know, have your presence dwell inside of me. I made that decision and I get to live in the presence of the Lord on earth. And I get to experience spiritual discernment, all of those things that come because without it, we're dead to those things. We're dead to the spirit of God without salvation on earth. Okay. So now we experience that the fullness of what that salvation is in the land of the living. Then when we die, we experience unbroken fellowship still with him in heaven. Now, and let's say that they're on their deathbed and they decide at that moment to give their lives to the Lord. Then they get to, then they have unbroken fellowship with him after they've passed, right? Because they live their life however they wanted to. The grace of God allows that still moment to be able to give yourself and to have and for, to receive salvation. Even in that, we that understanding of what it really of what that really means, the simplicity of it, right? So that we can see, like, oh, the simplistic the simplicity of it is salvation is me having fellowship with the Lord continually which is also why when we're saved and we step away at a period of time in our walk with the Lord, that sense of separation, that deep, when we feel like I'm away from the Lord and I don't like it, it doesn't feel good. Imagine having that for eternity. That's why salvation is so important. Somebody asked me a question about the lake of fire. I think the question was, why do you think God would throw us into a lake of fire? I didn't answer necessarily the question. I said, but Think about when you're in a bathtub or a pool or a hot tub and you feel the way that the water touches your skin, like you feel it over every pore in your body. So what if this lake of fire is living with the the separation of God that just burns you in that way that you can't ever escape it and it touches every pore Mm -hmm. of your skin? So that separation from God is something that is to live in this lake of fire with a burning covering on your body. I think it's just a sense of no peace. You're in a lake of fire. There's no peace. And no relief from regret, shame, and guilt. Yeah. Hmm. That makes sense. But what a horrible way to exist for eternity. Absolutely horrible. What is something that you would tell your younger self with regard to mistakes that you're going to make? Any sort of guilt, shame, regret? What is something you want your younger self to know? I think it's this. Life on your own isn't the adventure. Life with God is the adventure. And I say that because when I was younger, and also because, again, 
the religion in which I came up under was not who I've grown to know the Lord as in relationship. But even with that, there was a sense that I knew of the Lord. We have these these things that the world that God is boring because even church sometimes says makes it seem like he's boring, right? We put him in a box and we make it seem like he's boring, that we can't live this beautiful, full life, enjoying the good of what he's put in the earth, the good of the earth. We make it seem like don't touch, don't do this, don't do that. And all of those things, you miss out on who God is. I would tell my younger self, girl, fly with Jesus. It's going to be a great adventure. And if someone had just showed, if we should, if we could just show the world what that looks like, we're so caught up on, oh, I can't have sex before marriage. I can't have this, that we don't focus on this great adventure we get to have with him. Like what you we get can to have. go, what you can't have, you know, you can travel the world with God. You can do all these things. You can have this full, beautiful life with him. You can have taste the most amazing food and drink the most amazing drink. Like all of these things you get to do. And it is better than any other experience I've ever had in my entire life. I think one of the things that I would tell my younger self is that there is somewhere to go with your guilt and shame and regret in this past few years of talking to people about their personal stories, their trauma, there always seems to be a level of regret mixed in there somewhere where we wish we could have done something different or we thought, you know, it would have ended differently. And or what if we'd have done this or that? It could, the would have, should have, and could have, one of Satan's most uh, evil cruelties to us. So where do I go with that? Where do I go in the times that I failed as a mother, times I failed as a wife, the regrets that I was left with after my husband passed away? Where do I go? As a believer in Jesus Christ, I do have somewhere to go. I have someone to take those things to, lay them at his feet and let him heal me in those areas. So my thing is, is when life comes at you hard and you make a bad decision or you do something that is less than God's standard, there is somewhere to take that. There's somewhere to lay it to rest. Mm-hmm. I just thought about like, when you asked that other, that question about when I knew the moment that I knew that I shouldn't have married my husband. And I wonder if the shame of knowing that is what kept me in it. I think about that sometimes. Like, I think I, I wanted to prove that it could work, but I ended up in the exact same place. I swear to with you last week, I ended up in the exact same scenario that I thought I was going to get out of by, by marrying him. You know why? Because it wasn't what I was supposed to do. And that could be anything in our lives. I always say it is the Ishmael in our lives. What I think about often about Abraham when he birthed Ishmael is that God said he was not the son of promise. That one line for me was huge. Because it's saying you can do all of these counterfeit things. You can do all these things that seem like me, that seem honorable because marriage is honorable, right? That's the, that, that's the key right there. But if it's not the marriage of promise, if it is not the job of promise, if it's not the friend of promise, if it is not any of those things, then it is of no consequence, okay? Because you did something that was not supposed to exist. And I think sometimes us acknowledging that and being real with that, that's painful to realize, oh my gosh, I spent 18 years wanting to make something work that was not of promise. 
And what you had mentioned, what you're making references to is you should have said no before you said I do. You should have mm -hmm. called it off then. Instead, 18 years later, you end up having to call it off and yeah. end it. Yeah. And so you found yourself back in that same spot. Yeah, because the, the great thing about having Jesus on our side is he knows the inner workings of other people. <laughs> if we can get down to like why we can trust him is because what he's saying is he's not saying no because he's wanting to keep us from some keep us from having fun. He's saying no. He says, because you don't know what's in that bag. Mm, right. True. I do. I know what's in that bag. I know what's in that suitcase. I know it fully like I know you. And I'm telling you right now, that is a no. Okay. You don't want that. Oh, no. Yes, I do. Okay. Okay. Go open up the bag. And then you like, oh, oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and it just keeps coming. Right. Right. It is the obedience to the no and often as well as to the yes. Say that again. The it's, obedience. It's the obedience to the no as well as to the yes. Because when God gives us a no, we always want it to be yes, but the no is sometimes the yes. Mm. And we try to take a no and work it. To the yes. Right. We're gonna take control of that and take this no and we're gonna turn it into a yes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You said you're gonna turn it into a yes mess. That's what you're about to turn it into. <laughs> a yes hot mess. And then the then the fact. What I had to come to terms with for me in that place and my, in my marriage is that my willfulness to turn that no into a yes affected other people's lives. Mm -hmm. See, when we don't rest in God's answer, right. we become the tool often that the enemy uses to disrupt other people's lives as well. So good. Yep. You're right. Mm. It's true. And we don't allow God to do the work that he needs to. So, um, mm. because yeah, because it's we just... want him to move faster. It's the same God that can stop the day. Like he did with Joshua. He stopped the sun. He held up the sun yeah. so that they could win a battle. Mm. What would he not do for us when we offer in obedience to hold something up? He held the sun in place. That is, <laughs> he held the sun in place. And, and because they were doing what they were supposed to out of obedience, we live our lives. The things that we think are being held up are not being held up. When we trust God, he's like, I can blow the wind to cause change. Not even thinking about it. There are things that he can do that we couldn't conceive, think, process, understand, or determine ever. And it's in that intimacy with him that we discover what he wants to reveal about himself to us. And in that he rewrites my lies. He rewrites mm -hmm. what my crooked and cracked belief system is based on what either I've experienced or what a pastor's preached or, and the thing about it is, is we're not going to be able to look at God and say, well, Kish has said so-and-so my pastor said so-and-so he did the God's going to say, well, what did you know about me? What did mm -hmm. you, what did you find out about me for yourself? What was true about what I said, that if we never interpreted one scripture and we just took it at face value, Sherry, yeah. it would work. It stands alone. The word of God is alive and active. That's why that scripture is so important. Not the words that man add to the word of God when they're given a message. It says the word by itself, unadulterated, left alone is alive and active.
And it is what transcends from here into eternity as well. Yes. So the value of it is eternal. And so we get the benefits of that here, but it also stands solid in eternity. I also want to say this because it's something that I had to settle with the Lord. We're talking about all of our stuff that when we come back to God, we get to come back boldly just as he designed us to be the one who chose us, the one who's equipped us, the one who's predestined us, the one who has justified us, the one who has given us life. And when we come back to him we and we walked away from whatever it was that we were dibbling and dabbling in, we get to come back to him and be who he's called us to be without equivocation, without apology. We get to come back to him and he says, now go and do what I've asked you to do. And you can do that without guilt. And when it decides to want to show up again and be like, how can you say that? Remember when you did what? Yeah, I remember that. But thank goodness God forgave me and I'm forgiven too. And so someone asked, I said, yep, that's how I used to be. And you know what? (laughs) Outside of the grace of God, I hope I don't do it again. But what I do know is this is what I'm called to do. And I have the authority to speak it because he's given me the authority to do so. Hmm. Amen. And that's the beauty of Christ, the strength and the power of Christ. Our guilt and shame and regret does such a number on us if we don't lay it at the feet of Jesus. So what do you think God wants us to understand about his heart for us with regard to our identity? So this is what I think. This is in John 15, 16. You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you. This are, these are the key three words. And I have appointed and placed and purposefully planted you so that you would go and bear fruit. Those words right there, I have appointed and placed and purposely planted you. Reading that for me is understanding I was chosen. My identity is in him, in the choosing. I've been appointed to do the things that I'm, I'm doing or called to do. I've been placed to do the things that I'm called to do. And I've been purposely planted to do those things. And that makes me think of the fact that what, this is another reason, yet another reason why we bring our guilt, shame, and regret to God, because it weighs nothing in his hands and nothing will thwart God's word about us. He has appointed us. He has placed us and he has purposely planted us. And when we come back in agreement with who he is and what he wants to do in our life, these are the things that will be accomplished. Mm-hmm. Satan wants to keep us tied down with guilt, shame, and regret. But mm-hmm. if we give them to the one who dissolves them, who, uh, who the, of the original one that we've sinned against really. And when we yeah. give it to this author who can, can forgive us, then look at what we get to walk in. Yeah, we're back to being appointed, placed, and planted, purposely planted. Those things don't go away. It's like we were talking the other day at lunch. God's given us a choice of life and death, right? Mm-hmm. Death is our sinful life, so the, the, our flesh life. Our flesh life leads to death. Our spirit life leads to life. And from the moment we're born, we have two paths we get to choose. Well, we could choose the flesh path that is indulgent and all those things, and then decide one day, you know what, Lord? I think I do want the appointed, placed, and purposely planted life. And then we cross over into that when we give our lives to him, right? And then those things become alive to us. They are made available to us more powerfully than they were before. Mm -hmm. Because at the end of the day, the amount of wealth we accumulate, the number of cars, our homes, our clothes hanging in our closet, or any of those things, they are meant for our temporary enjoyment, but they will never be satisfied for eternity or dare I say, even on this side of heaven, 
I could have, I have a ton of shoes. Let me tell you something. They don't satisfy or fulfill me permanently, continually at all. They're all temporary till I go back and remember I had those pair of shoes and I'm like, then I'm filled again with the, oh my gosh, I forgot I had those. I'm gonna wear those today, right? But it's not the same abiding kind of fascination and satisfaction that comes from having a relationship with Jesus. These might be shadows, but we'll never fully grasp or truly grasp the love of God, Mm -hmm. the beauty of God, the importance of his presence, the intimacy with which we get to Mm -hmm. live with him now. Yeah. Until we dig in, sit quiet in that insulated snow with him and just let him speak and let him be himself. I still know that my challenge is to keep his pace, to open up those quiet places where he can speak. Mm-hmm. Friend, is there anything I have not asked you about that you want to share that you feel like listeners need to know when it comes to guilt, shame, regret, our identity, the goodness of God, any of that? Have we covered it all? What I can say is, is when we are overwhelmed with all those things, go back to the beginning and the beginning will always be him. Amen to that. Friend, I love you. I appreciate your time. Yeah. Thank you for being on the show. You're welcome. It was great. Thank you for having me on your show. Thank you for your time and for sharing this experience with my guest. I hope you have found encouragement for today and a deeper revelation of God's heart in the midst of pain and suffering. We'd love to have you as a subscriber to Finding God in Our Pain so that you can be connected with all my guests as they share their personal experiences and professional knowledge about pain and suffering. And because this podcast is a division of the website, A Life of Thrive, for more information and the various ways you can connect with us, please visit the website, alifeofthrive.com. I look forward to sharing more transparent stories from the hearts of women who intimately know what it means to have their world flipped upside down, their authentic struggle to make sense of it, and what recovery and healing looks like. Till then, sweet woman, remember you are not alone and that God speaks the most beautiful things in the dark.